So I'm going to go ahead and say welcome to Arc Chat, a podcast and live stream about collection stewardship. My name is Robin Bauer Kilgo, and I will be one of your co-hosts today. Just as a quick technical heads up, there is a 20-second delay. So if you're going to be following us along in the Twitter or the chat, um, we will get to your questions eventually. Please use the hashtag, hashtag ArcsChat when you're on Twitter or any of the other places so that we can follow along with the conversation. And without further ado, I'm going to go ahead and hand the mic over to John Robinette. Hey, welcome everybody. Uh, welcome back to uh, February's edition of Arcs Track, where we're going to talk about the dark side of couriering. And with us to discuss the topic, uh, as always, Amanda Robinson, and our special guest and co-organizer of the Arcs Courier Workshop coming up in March is Jacqueline Cabrera, also a former Arcs president and founding board member. So lots of credentials there. So uh, before we get on to our topic about the courier situation, um, what's going on with everybody? Uh, Jackie, what, what, what's on your plate these days? Oh, a little bit of everything. Um, but right now I'm installing an exhibition, um, literally as we're recording, um, here at, in the downtown Los Angeles at the LA Philharmonic. It's an exhibition of Oscar Schlemmer's Bauhaus statues. Um, that's supposed to complement their Weimar Music Festival this month. So it's been a little bit unusual. We were working with the back house crew here along with some art handlers. Um, so we've learned a lot of uh, new things that happen in the back house of a symphony uh, concert hall, uh, but they've all been great to work with. Um, so that's what I'm currently working on now. And then in about a week or so, I go off to Texas to install an exhibition at the Asia Society. Um, so a little bit of everything. It's always different every week. Sounds pretty fun. Amanda, what's up with you? Well, I actually spent most of my day revising our Art and Bloom guidelines. It's the first year that I'm doing it in my new position. <clears throat> and uh, I had a few updates to make, but I also like just got knee deep in floral <laughs> everything <laughs> and learned more about flowers and plant material than I ever thought I'd need to. Still struggling to find a few things, but I have to say when I left the museum today, I was like, oh my God, if I have to look at another rule or another restriction, I'm going to go crazy. <laughs> so, fun as always. Yeah. Robin? Um, what am I doing right now? <laughs> Everything, Robin. <laughs> I am doing ARC stuff. Um, working on the courier workshop registration, which you guys will hear about soon. Um, I, working on the website, working on a bunch of stuff for ARCs. I also do, um, I recently was um, put in charge of connecting to Collections Care through FAIC. So I've been helping doing um, webinars with that. So there's a bunch of cool webinars coming up in the next couple months. And with that group, we're talking about prepping for May Day soon, which is the big, uh, you know, emergency preparedness excitement yeah. that happens, which... Um, it's funny because right before I did this, we got on this, I was reading up about the Mocha fire up in New York and kind yeah. of seeing where they were at with that. So, and yeah, they were able to salvage quite a bit. They did. I mean, it's, it sounds like they're basically dealing with water damage, which is not surprising, um, but it's sounding like the stuff they can pull out is good. But before we go into uh, our topic, they have a GoFundMe, which I wanted to share with everyone. Oh, yeah, so look under Mocha, go to GoFundMe. So far, they've raised $122,000 for recovery wow. efforts. Um, so add to it. 
Chinese America, not the Museum of Contemporary Art in LA. Correct. Yeah. It's the Museum of Chinese in America. And it was their archives that got damaged. So their main facility is still open, but their archives was heavily damaged with the fire. So um, yeah, that's been what I've been kind of reading about for the past hour or so, just seeing where they were at. So Gotcha. Yeah. That's pretty cool. I've been uh, working on a job and today I spent all day um, assisting this conservator as he's, you know, doing stuff and he's essentially retired, but kind of picks up freelance work here and there. And, uh, but you know, been in the field forever. And he was telling me the story about, uh, uh, to tie in with our topic tonight, uh, how he was repairing, um, I think it was a vase or some sort of uh, vessel like that, that, uh, was damaged because a crate fell over in the airport and, uh, he, he came across it with tire marks across the crate. So um, I don't know how you drive over a crate with the forklift, but um, unless the lid was taken off, but yeah, the, the stuff was packed improperly and not uh, prepared to be driven over by a forklift. So with that in mind, let's, uh, let's talk about couriers and if uh, courier training can alleviate those. Like that. I'm assuming that shipment didn't have a courier. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> and if they did, they were certainly not doing prepared. something else. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so, uh, so, Jackie, tell us a little bit about this courier training and where where it comes from. Well, the courier training um, originated. This particular framework that we're offering um, through ARCS um, was authored in Europe by the European registrars. Um, and it, in 2017, they were ready to implement it across Europe. And I just happened to be traveling in Italy in June of 2017. And they found out that I was going to be on the, um, on the continent. So they invited me to join them for their first uh, workshop that they had. And it's, it was two days, and it was really well put together. At the same time, um, ARCS was contemplating this whole courier resolution um, project where we were trying to somehow standardize in some way um, courier requirements, when a courier is required, things of that nature. Um, but we never quite got it off the ground because there were so many hurdles. Um, as you know, ARCS, we were so heavily into the programming and it was just one of those things we never got off the ground. So when this came across our desk, we thought, well, why reinvent the wheel? The UK registrars um, or the European registrars have been working on this for two years. Um, and so it's now implemented in all 12 European countries, France, Italy, Sweden, the Netherlands, England, Italy, um, Ireland, Germany, France, who am I forgetting? Um, so all the, the 12 European groups that have their organizations, um, Spain, so um, it was mainly authored by Kathy Richmond, who is currently the senior registrar at the Museum of London. She was also the chair of the UK registrars group for two years. And she's, this is sort of her baby. She got this starting off. And then we have Desiree Blomberg, who is the exhibition and loans coordinator at the Moderna Musette in Stockholm. And uh, Vendela Bauer from uh, the Rijksmuseum. Um, and she's also the chair of the Netherlands group. So um, they're the ones who really got this going. And so when I approached them about it, they were very excited that ARCS would be um, willing to coordinate with them and collaborate with them in getting it into other countries. So the US um, workshop is actually the first one where it's sort of our trial basis. 
and it'll be in Fort Worth, Texas in March. And we can talk about that a little bit more later. Um, but we then organized a task force within the ARCS board and to help me out with that. And uh, Sarah Bueller from the Brandywine is on our task committee as well as uh, Michelle Neal from the Chrysler Museum of Art. And then the board member, Sonia Nunez from the Guggenheim and Bell Bell and myself. So we sort of represent the ARCS part of the group um, on this. So the seven of us have been dialoguing for the last, oh, I would say five to six months about this. And now we're at the nitty gritty. So over the last few months, um, the US registrars have been reviewing the documents that they authored and we're tweaking it just so it's a little more general. And, um, and then at the specific workshop, I will also be presenting a session on just US oriented items that don't necessarily um, are adaptable to European standards. Like, like um, what? Well, I'm still working on the talk, John, uh, but uh, it'll cover uh, TSA items, uh, any flights coming out of the U.S. that have restrictions such as freighters. They're different from the ones in Europe. Um, we're more limited here. Talk about the heavy ports in L.A., um, in, I mean, um, in the U.S., such as Atlanta, um, things of those nature. So things that the Europeans really wouldn't need to have information on that in right. their training program but perhaps a U.S. And, you know, talk as simple as make sure you take your Apple European adapter, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, charger, uh, you know, things of that nature. Right, right, right. Yeah. That's, so uh, those are, um, that's the group that's been working on the career workshop. Yeah, it's a pretty ambitious project, especially. It for, it's very exciting because it's, it's already translated into various languages. Um, yeah. So it's just a matter of adapting it to each country. Right, right. How cool. I mean, have you heard, do they, have they had other um, interests from outside of Europe besides us? Uh, no, I think we're really the ones who are pushing it to kind of yeah. get it out to other places. I mean, personally, I would love to see a version of it happen down in Mexico yeah. uh, as, as maybe another secondary practice run for ARCs. Yeah. Um, as you know, John, we had a very successful Mexico City workshop too. Oh, almost three years ago. So I think it would be well attended. Yeah, um, sure. And it could range. It could be as small as 30 people up to 75. And the uh, exercises that are implemented are just adapted to how big the group is. Right. And I think when the they they did a train the trainer workshop, right? Is, is there going to be an element of that in this Fort Worth one? Yes. So day one is actually what you call train the trainer. Yeah. Um, so they're given a lot of information and they're actually taught how to run their training programs. And who then the second, the huh? Who are, who are the people that are so getting... the, the registrars that are able to come from Europe are Kathy yeah. Richmond from London yeah. and Desiree uh, Blomberg. Yeah. Uh, Vendela couldn't arrange her schedule to make right. it. So it'll be the three of us talking um, as well. I'll be moderating um, and keeping everything sort of working along the way. Um, fortunately, uh, the registrars at the Modern Museum um, yeah. with Brett Mitchell are also going to help us um, with logistical items there on site. Um, and then the, the second day... To the, to the event are not being trained to be able to train other people, per se. I'm sorry? The, the, the people attending the conference aren't being trained to be trainers to... Yes. They are. They are on the oh, first okay. day. So the way we wrote the description, we encourage people who would be in charge 
of setting up a career training program to come to day one. Yeah. And then day two, it could be anybody who wants to be a courier, right. your art handler, your conservator. Those are the people that probably wouldn't be setting up a career training program, but would want to be a courier. Right. Um, but we got the statistics today and it's about 95% of the people who have registered are coming to both days, which I thought was really interesting. I thought they would choose one day or the other. And um, there's a broad spectrum of people coming from different locations, which is great. Um, because when we originally proposed this workshop, we thought it would just be the Texas region. And Robin, correct me, but I think we have people coming from Cincinnati. Uh, I think yeah. even from LA, outside of me, um, it's, it's just a broad group of people. Yeah, from what I remember, it was it's pretty much... Uh, countrywide you know what I mean which is great yeah, which tells you there's a need for it people mm -hmm. want this um, so we know we have a lot of pressure to make sure this works really well the first time round um, but they presented this workshop who are playing the weeping oh sorry about room. that you're on stage please <laughs> Jackie you have to explain where you're at did you explain yeah. where you're at <laughs> people in Jackie uh, so uh, you know they've done this workshop several times and they trained all the other European groups so you know I, I'm very confident they did a great job when I was there in Milan um, running this program and I think we're um, we're almost about to close the registration. Um, we're really high up there on the numbers. And yeah. Tell us what, 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 what the numbers look like. Can people still Robin? Well, what's our, I was actually going to confirm with you, Jackie, on what the yeah. max number was of people to attend. Yeah, I think um, 60. I think we're running around 60. Um, we are at 55 right yeah. now. So. Yeah. so if you haven't registered, get on right now. Yeah. <laughs> and the reason we have to close it at a certain point, because our exercises need to be modified to accommodate 60 people now. Mm -hmm. We thought, we, we ideally really thought it was going to be maybe 30 on one day and 30 on another. Um, but now it's twice the number. So we have to kind of adjust that. And we need time to do that. Well, so that's our career training program. And we'll have everything from um, career training scenarios. It's really kind of fun. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, you, uh, not, not testing, but just sort of make sure they're learning along the way. We also have this fantastic uh, career training framework manual that be, be given to the attendees and eventually also be offered to the ARCS membership. And to be clear, this is not just art couriers. I mean, these are artifacts. Yeah, it's, it's just yeah, as long yeah. as you're being a courier to an object. Right. Yes. Right. Correct. So we're looking forward to it. Yeah. And what are the dates on that again? That is March. It's a Thursday, Friday, March 13th and 14th, I believe. Mm -hmm. Right, Robin? <laughs> yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. Let me double check to make sure. I always, I know it's like so funny because you have all these dates in your head and you're like, wait. Exactly. I have other deadlines <laughs> right now. Hold on. Yes. So. March 12th through 13th. Um, Thursday runs from nine to five. Friday runs to 830 to 345. And like you were saying, Jackie, I pulled up the list that we have right now and it's people yeah. from East Coast, West Coast. I'm seeing art museums, history museums. I'm seeing air and space museums. I'm seeing presidential libraries. So you're going to have the gamut. Early on, we actually had some inquiries from outside the U.S., but I don't, you know, they haven't registered. So, um, yeah. That's fantastic. So, I mean, one of the things that I think is so interesting about this 
is that it does make this tie into the courier resolution that ARCS did um, try and get off the ground. And mm -hmm. for various mixed reasons, you know, some of it being, you know, just the logistics of it, you know, there's personnel changes within ARCS, et cetera, et cetera. It just never fully got uh, realized. But uh, within that resolution, you know, you know, it lies this idea that, you know, every institution has different standards and different requirements mm -hmm. and different ideas on what they want out of a courier and a courier trip. And um, so what's interesting about this courier training is there's a potential to standardize some of these things and perhaps, you know, give that extra uh, five to 10% that the resolution that ARCS, you know, attempted didn't actually get to uh to be able to actually get this off the ground because what we all really want to see is institutions you know sharing and um whether it's couriers or you know experience uh in a sense and there might be a, a, a greater level of trust uh if you know we know that they're trained right is is correct you know if if that was uh i assume that that was part of the intention of the original framework, right? It was, and it was out of a lot of discussions with exhibition registrars, um, your, and I'm talking big exhibitions, I'm not talking like the little institution exhibitions that don't have a lot of lenders, but I'm talking about big exhibitions where you have anywhere between 10 to 40 lenders, and if half of them require a courier, that can be 40 to 60% of your overall exhibition shipping budget. And that's not chump change because yeah. you have the loan requirement of business with art and, you know, from LA to New York or Europe, business class can run anywhere between three to $7,000 versus an economy round trip. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's a big, big chunk of the budget. And if an object doesn't really need a courier, you know, be kind to your colleague and don't send a courier. It would really affect that museum's budget tremendously. So there was always this idea like of exhibition registrars trying to work with each other, trying to figure out, can we consolidate a shipment? Can we share a courier? Because this would really help my exhibition budget. Um, but in doing so, you, you found out that there was a lot of inconsistencies, what institutions thought were the standard museum requirements. And I, whenever I lecture, I always throw this out. For example, on last Friday, I did a shipping workshop for the local regional registrar group. It was an all-day thing at the Broad. And when we were discussing the agenda, I had put like 15 minutes courier requirements. And they said, well, how does this, how is this fitting into the shipping topic? I said, I know, I need to get onto the bench and preach about this because um, any chance I get to talk about this, I really want to throw it out there. And so I really want the young registrars and, you know, registrars who maybe don't ship a lot to understand what are the museum standards for a courier. It's, if it's domestic, it's two nights coverage. If it's European, three nights. If it's a per diem, domestic, three days. Um, it can range anywhere between 80 to 100 U.S. dollars. Um, you know, those museum standards, it should be business with art, economy without because there's still a lot of registrars out there who are requiring business round trip when they really shouldn't. Yeah. Um, and they just refuse to bend. And I, I don't think that's right. Um, and, and it's not necessary. So um, whenever I have the opportunity, I try to th throw those standards out to make sure the young registrars who are in training understand 
that it's not okay to ask for five days um, just because they want to be in Paris for five days. You know, you're there to do your job. You're only there for three days. If you want an additional two days, it's on your own dime. I um, just heard a story about a courier requesting that the uh, borrowing institution book them a trip to the Bahamas from New York. Um, and the argument was that it was the same price as as some other yeah. ticket. And it's like, I mean... No, it happens, John. And we would get requests from, you know, can I, you know, we, we finished the loan negotiations, a courier got assigned, and then the registrar would be so embarrassed, but they have to contact us to ask if they can bring their daughter, you know, yeah. if they could trade in their business class airfare for two premium, and that way they can bring their husband. And, you know, it's, it yeah. was embarrassing. And so we're trying to reduce that kind of nonsense. Yeah. Um, and it's not the registrars, it's not the art handlers, it's not yep. the conspirators, it's a specific category in the museum that tends to ask for these um, requ- ask for these unnecessary perks. And it's usually people who are not experienced couriers. Yeah. You know? I was yeah. going to say, if anyone's been on any type of extended courier trip, it is not luxurious. No, not at all. <laughs> not <laughs> I mean, at all. the first time I did an international trip, I almost passed out in the... Um, cargo facility because it had been so long since I had eaten and I I just I slept on the plane and I didn't realize and all of a sudden it's like Arr. well you know when when you tell people I have to go to Mexico or I have to go to Paris they're like ooh aren't you lucky yes it is a perk right of our industry but they don't realize that uh, I'm gonna be a wide awake for 32 hours doing a cargo mm-hmm. flight um, that means. I won't shower or properly eat or sleep for 32 hours. So I wouldn't call that a luxurious trip. Um, so, and you know, so some people just don't are inexperienced and this is what we're trying to maybe avoid with and educate people with, with a courier training program, get the word out. Like this is what a proper courier should be trained as. Well, and another thing I think that this will help do, um, if, if other people have experiences working as working at a museum that's maybe part of a larger organization or part of a state organization, is yeah. this is a great opportunity to show, like, this is the field standard for how we do things. I know at my prior institution, we they fought years to get just a decent per diem for couriers because the state rate was yeah. lower. <laughs> it was way more affordable to send one of our staff to do a courier trip because we wouldn't get the $75 per diem, we'd get the state per diem, which is about $36 a day. Yeah. yeah. So, but, but I mean, which is disappointing, but nevertheless, it allows organizations, part of those uh, bigger parent uh, universities or what have you, to be able to say, like, well, this is what the whole field's doing, this is really the proper way we should do it, and yeah. that'll help them, you know, make those arguments and make some yeah. of those And standardize it across. And since we're lending objects all over the world, if we all had the same standard, wouldn't that be beautiful? Yeah. And that's the goal, is well, by five, ten years down the road, we're not having these discussions anymore. Well, yeah, and, and we can reduce, I mean, I've certainly been on transatlantic courier trips with three couriers going all to the same institution, mm-hmm. all business class. And it's like, this is silly. This is really silly. Yeah. And, you know, it's a matter of the exhibition registrar. She knows she has three or four people coming, you know, to the same city, from the same city. Uh, It really is her job to try to maybe consolidate that. And um, there are some institutions who just refuse. There's a couple of here in L.A. that whenever we find out that 
one institution is also loaning to that show, people are willing to collaborate and maybe, you know, ask, can you oversee my, um, <coughs> my object in transit? And our courier will just fly there to oversee the installation. But that saves that museum a business class ticket mm -hmm. because right. that courier would fly economy without art. Um, but in doing so, you know, registrar to registrar, you have to figure out your own waiver form because you do, you do need to have a waiver if somebody else is going to oversee your shipment exactly. in transit. Um, so there's a little coordination, but it's not, it's not daunting. It's, it doesn't take a lot. Um, and so many times I'll ask the shipping agent as well, being more an independent contract where I might not be talking to my other colleagues as much anymore. Uh, and, I say, and I'll ask, hey, is there anybody else from LA um, going to this show or vice versa? And if it is, then I'll, I'll connect with that registrar and ask like, hey, do you want to oversee this or do you want me to, you know, oversee this on your behalf and try to minimize the cost to the borrowing institution. I'm going to interrupt right here and just say if anybody's listening and has any questions, please feel free to, to write us on the chat function of YouTube Live. Uh, we are monitoring and looking for questions. So I think uh, what's interesting about this is it, you really kind of um, summed up where the, where the courier resolution got, you know, caught up, which was, you know, some, some institutions just don't allow to not, you know they're they're always going to require a courier and um and one of the reasons you know of course there you know there are some institutions that essentially only loan masterpieces right you know and uh, they're the value is just too high to that and they feel they have to risk it they can't risk it but isn't another aspect of this the reciprocity they want either yes. continued loans from that institution or um they want you know to be able to send their own yeah. couriers or yeah there are special relationships that curators have with each other or directors yeah. um and you know the maybe the registrar will say well, i don't know why this loan is happening or i don't understand why we can't just consolidate and then we'll be told oh well because we're working on this other project that we need to kind of mm -hmm. appease them and and let them send their courier um so yeah i mean you know there's politics on all levels and every profession right so um those are the unfortunate because um sometimes they then bend over backwards and we spend more money on those type of situations right. but yes correct yeah yeah because really i mean if we want to go into you know when is an object really require uh, a courier um it, it really is uh about you know is it a complicated journey is it a complicated shipment that your crate could possibly get lost on the way. Um, does the object require special handling? Uh, you know, does it have a unique mount that maybe is more, you know, complicated to install? Um, are there conservation needs? Is it a very fragile piece that you maybe don't want the other borrowing institution handling? Or um, the value of the object also plays into, into a play. But also you may have a venue that you're not familiar with for instance I currently was assisting someone with um, uh, uh, two French museums and a Spanish museum it was a traveling exhibition mm -hmm. and the first two institutions we felt you know they're well known they they're good uh, for receiving couriers and objects of this size but the third and last venue was a small little French uh, French Riviera museum um, that didn't wasn't meeting all the requirements and so 
um, we decided that we would waive the inter-venue uh, courier for the traveling exhibition and save them some money. But the courier would be required for that last venue just because we were not familiar with the staffing or the museum itself. And its facility report didn't quite answer all the important questions that we needed answered. So those are sort of the general topics or, or bullet points that you would consider um, whether or not to send a courier or not. Right, right, right. And um, I always feel like, uh, well, one of the things that I've done in the past, which I thought was fairly su successful in the case where, you know, you want to you want to have a, a level of of uh, vigilance, but you don't feel like you have to send a courier all the way because it might be to a major institution that has good staff. Is I do the airport supervision here at home, and then I send it on the plane, and I don't travel with it because I know they can have a representative there, or you know, in some cases we've hired contract people to to be on the other side to oversee the shipment in the airport on the other side. So you know, these are still cheaper options, so. Yeah, and it's also, you know, when an experienced registrar knows that there's all these possible options out right. there. Um, but many times if, if uh, you know, if it's just a painting and it's glazed and it's not high value, you don't need to send a courier. Um, and it's, as you mentioned, John, especially if it's going to a major institution, because that major institution is going to have a conservator on site, most likely. Yep. Um, so you can inquire and say, does your institution, will there be a conservator who will oversee my piece personally? Um, you know, a conservator, you can't get any better than that. So um, it's just knowing when to ask those questions. And therefore, it's also very important for an institution, even a gallery, um, to have courier, a courier policy. When is a courier required? When can you just oversee the airport supervision, as you mentioned, John? Um, because I think that's a very important part of the whole journey. Is cargo terminal? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but once it gets to the other end, I mean, it's being received by museum-trained professionals. Yeah. Um, so, but you know, like I mentioned before, it's a it's a complicated, fragile, ancient bronze. I could see then a, that that institution would want to send a courier. Yeah. Yeah. But chances are, if you're if you have a, a an exhibition that has forty lenders, yeah, you know, that's a, a lot of that. That's probably yeah. doesn't require couriers. Definitely, definitely. But once again, um, in a lot of institutions, there, it's not the registrar making that decision, which is unfortunate. Yeah. Um, at the major museums here in LA, where they have really good per courier programs, guess who's in charge? The registrar is in charge of who who run who goes as a courier or not. Yeah. So, you know, I think those out there that are preparing to install a courier policy or courier training program in their institution, these are the items they need to think about. Who is qualified? Right. Right. Yeah. And go ahead. Amanda, you're going to say something? Well, I was just going to ask, um, these workshops are fantastic. I'm also wondering if there will be ways that institutions can, um, on their own, implement training or have the opportunity like for example before i was allowed to courier my supervisor sent me on another courier trip with a colleague so it was a whole group of us we arranged it with a broker 
and we traveled with them to the cargo facility. We oversaw what they oversaw, the painting getting palletized, all that jazz. And then when they were ready to get on their flight and leave, you know, we dispersed. But it was like a lo just a localized training program. It wasn't facilitated by anyone else, but it was a great experience because yeah. it's just that first initial walkthrough. Yeah, and we started. Said, yeah, oh, we started doing those here in LA some 15 years ago. Um, mm -hmm. And because everyone got super busy, we haven't quite had any in recent. We were talking about doing one of those. But this courier training program that the Europeans authored um, does have an element of going to the cargo terminal. Unfortunately for Fort Worth, the closest airport is more than an hour away, so it's difficult to implement that into this workshop. But we'll have photographs but, um, and PowerPoint presentations, but there's nothing like going to the actual cargo terminal um, and, and showing them that yellow line they're not supposed to cross. Telling them, please respect the cargo personnel, don't piss them off, because they will ban people from going back as a courier to the terminals. Wow. We know a couple of those. Um, so yes, that's a, that's a great program, and it really behooves the shipping companies also to implement those kind of programs, because it makes you a better client for them, so that when they're at the cargo terminal trying to broker your peace, they don't have to worry that you're an inexperienced courier and that you're going to keep bugging the cargo personnel or that you're going to keep crossing the line. You know what I mean? So, um, you know, and when, when the companies do that, I think it's always a plus for them. And some um, courier uh, policies also indicate that the staff member, A, has to be a full-time staff member because you also have to consider insurance and how that factors into who your courier is. Um, it shouldn't be part-time. It shouldn't be an intern. Um, so you need to factor those into your career policy. Um, oh, I just lost my thought of train. Oh, but um, so sometimes they'll implement where it the, for your first career trip has to be a domestic trip. Hmm. And if you do well on that domestic trip, then you get promoted into an international trip. You know, so that's, that's when you're testing staff because you know, you might, your local or colleague and work might be a very mellow kind of going person, but when they're stressed and they can't handle a situation, then they're the worst courier to have on that trip. So you also have to factor in people's personalities. They might have been at that institution for 40 years, but that doesn't mean they're the best courier. Mm -hmm. So we got a, a question in uh, from Julo, Julo. My institution wants to lend four works internationally, and uh, and instead of hiring a courier, they are requiring the art to ship on separate flights. Have you ever heard of this? How can I argue for a courier? Uh, it's horrible that they even suggested four separate flights. As you guys know, that's a lot. That's four times as much for that poor borrowing institution. Yeah. Um, so when he means hiring a courier, is there no one on staff qualified to act as the courier? I, I guess, or... Can we ask that question of Jewel? Uh, well, hopefully they'll, they'll chime back in. Okay. Well, I, I have a question. What's the benefit in having four separate shipments yeah. outside of just mitigating yeah. risk of all being lost in one? Yeah. It's kind of like the idea of not putting all your family on one plane. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, that's yeah. the only thing I can think I of. I mean, I understand it because I wouldn't think that that would be safer. I would think I want my courier to be to able to overlook that pallet seat, get on the cargo, get on the cargo with it, fly it there, see it, get off. Like, yeah, I, I could understand separating, but not really when you have four pieces. And yeah. So I'm, I'm kind of curious if, A, first of all, it seems like maybe they don't land a lot since they're 
coming up with this concept of four separate shipments, um, but B, whether or not there's someone on staff. Um, it sounds like there, there's no, it, I mean, when I reread the question, it sounds like there, there, there's no plan for a courier. So the, the question is, how do I argue for a courier? So, um, well, unfortunately, I think we would have to know more about the actual objects, but I would definitely just off the top say, don't do four separate shipments. Yeah. So if he wants to contact us, we can maybe guide him with yeah. some wording he can send to his director. Yeah. Well, the first thing I could think of is you're paying four times as much when you could pay one time plus yeah. Yeah, and, for like and, three days. <laughs> and also, you know, the borrowing institution, I mean, you know, Right, they have something to say. They have a say in this, yeah. Um, well, and I, I think, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead, Amanda. I was just going to say, well, that brings up another good point, negotiating, right? When you have these loans, right. you have the opportunity to negotiate. I remember recently was dealing with an um, incoming exhibition, and part of the requirement was that the institution would let, you know, have careers come over with the show, and it's a big show, it's a big exhibition, but they wanted like $160 a day per diem, and this is a domestic institution. And all I could think to myself is like, nowhere in Florida is it ever going to cost you $160 a day just to get by. Yeah. Uh, and that's, that's ridiculous. So having also the knowledge and um, the experience shared with uh, other colleagues that these are negotiate, you know, yeah. even though someone's lending to you, you still have the opportunity to negotiate, especially when something Correct. seems really outside reasonable to Correct. come back and say, well, you know, this is typically what it costs or this is what our careers get and maybe this could come a little more to a balanced place. And I always will say, you know, this is the museum standard, industry, the industry's museum standard. Where is this $160 coming from? Um, it might be a university that might have asked, and then they might have very specific requirements because they're within a university uh, mm -hmm. setting. Um, but if you're borrowing from Italy, you're most likely going to be borrowing from a state institution. So they have this funky governmental hierarchy. <laughs> Um, so you can pay, you know, $200, $300, not $200, um, euros per diem, and they can't change it. They know it's too much money, but it's part of their state requirements. So, you know, so it varies. But in the U.S., it shouldn't be more than $100 a day. I, I really, there's no city, not even New York. You can live $100 in New York. Um, so... I mean, you're not rolling, uh, but <laughs> you're getting by just fine, though. Yeah. <laughs> and but that, but that per diem, you also have to remember a lot of people implement now the ground transportation part, where they yeah. give between a hundred and hundred and fifty dollars, and that covers your taxi or train to and from the airport. Yeah, so you're covered. You know. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, Julo responded and said, yes, a weird solution invented by a legal department. There's yeah. no one formally trained as a courier on staff. So, so uh, yes, I love and hate lawyers. Uh, anytime in the last couple of years, when lawyers get involved, they over-complicate compliment, uh, uh, complicate okay. situations. Thank you. Um, so, unfortunately, he's probably working... So did he say there is a courier on staff? No, no formally trained courier no. on staff. Okay. So, so basically they're, they're trying to, they need a, an argument to convince the legal department that this is silly and they need to be able to send somebody yeah. uh, on the shipment. So we would have to know, like, you know, usually when you're separating shipments like that, it's, it's ultra high value. That's, mm -hmm. that's my. Um, it depends on the transit insurance, um, pre, um, you know, cap 
on the policy yeah. of whoever's covering that. So let's say each painting is 500,000, but they only have a transit cap at 100,000. Yeah. Uh, you know, so yeah, I could see where you wanted to, that's when it's called value disbursement shipments. Yeah. Uh, but for individual paintings, I, I don't think it's worth it. Uh, I really doubt they're all for high value to the point that you would have four separate shipments. Well, so I, I, based, you know, to, to address the question specifically, so if you're, you're trying to convince the legal department to send a courier, my first assessment is, well, the same reason that you're sending four separate flights, it's risk mitigation. Yeah. And your highest, well, one of the highest risks in the whole system is your airport in, uh, in every, on all the activity that happens around the airport and the, and the shuttling between uh, yeah. trucks and, and the flight. It's falling over. Oh uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Getting run over by a forklift, for example. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I've and, and and then also just like the the risk of you know uh, things getting searched, you know, by customs, and you know I've certainly had that or yeah. X-rays, and you know the potential for you know I don't know where they're going, but like I've had objects opened in the airport, and you know yeah. it's better if if that's going to happen. It's present. It's someone yeah, or exactly. it's me that does it, and they're they're supervising yeah. it. Yeah. Um, so all and once again, that's just not museum standard to have four separate shipments like yeah. that. So, yeah, yeah. That, that so, obviously that lawyer doesn't know anything about art shipments and careers. So. Right, right, right. Well, and another thing to consider as well in, in terms of trying to frame your argument so that it's acceptable to this legal team is that, and we haven't talked about this, but there are contract registrars for hire and people you could hire that have the professional experience and the wherewithal to travel. So maybe you don't have someone on staff, but if you're willing to pay for four shipments, maybe you're also willing to pay for one at a much more reasonable rate with someone who's an expert in traveling art who yeah. can be there to do just that, mitigate all that type of risk. Yeah. And it's anytime, what's the thing we always say, anytime you move an object, that's when it's at its most vulnerable, right? Right. So why would you move something four separate times, which exactly. just feels like a great deal more risk, right. yeah. together one time with a human being with them who knows what they're looking for, knows what they're doing, and can take it safely from point A to point B. And they don't have to necessarily stay for the installation, but they can just oversee the safe transit. Correct. Great. Great comment, Amanda. Yeah, definitely. And you know what? There's, there's two professional contract registrars on this podcast right there now. There you go. <laughs> um, <laughs> And between us, we probably know 50% of all the contract registrars in the country. Yeah. Well, and ARC has a contract registrar. You can look people up in yeah. the membership for contract exactly. registrars who are out for hiring. Yeah. 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 Go on to ARC's website. There's yeah. a con contract. It's called, on on, it's called On Contract. Anyone can search it. It's um, If you want to wow. sign up for it, it's an additional fee to your membership. I think it's like $20 a year. And you can pop your stuff up there and you can search for a professional registrar or contract registrar professional or professional <laughs> <laughs> my case um, so yeah uh well hopefully we uh we helped uh julo with the with their their argument uh yes yeah, they say thanks um so yeah I, I i hope that there's some consolation um but uh, ultimately you know it the sending a courier is not a it's not a vacation. It's done it's for a reason. Good job. So, um, job. And so one thing I just want to throw out there is, um, you know, please, when you take the job on as a courier, or you're given that perk actually within your institution, um, 
just remember it is a job. It's not a vacation. So it can become a vacation once you're done doing your job, but not during those three, two to three days. And please don't schedule other appointments during the days you're scheduled to be at the institution so that you don't come to the exhibition registrar at lunchtime and say, you know, I have a two o'clock at this other museum. How soon are we going to be done? You're there all day to do your job. So on that fourth day when you're done with the institution, then you can book any appointment that you want. Um, and please don't ask to bring your family and friends on um, your career trip because you're working. Um, I've had situations where someone brought their mother and they had to ride on the truck and it was very tight. And, uh, <laughs> yes. So I made sure that that exhibition registrar for that institution knew that that person brought her mother with her. Um, also, um, make sure that if you want to be an active courier that does not only domestic, but international, keep your passport up to date. Mm -hmm. Okay. Don't wait to be asked to be a courier and then check your, your, uh, passport. Um, because when you do cargo um, freighters, you have to get pre-screened security-wise, and that takes a couple of weeks sometimes to do. So if you don't have a valid passport, there won't be enough time to get you approved onto that cargo flight. Um, also, always make sure you have your visas. It's not up to the exhibition registrar, nor is it up to the shipping agent to get you your visa. So you need to be um, well-informed. If you know you're going to a foreign country, immediately research, am I going to require a visa for my type of, um, for passport? And then, as I mentioned earlier, real important, bring your chargers. Uh, I think now that we're also very uh, technically oriented, um, I can't tell you how many times uh, couriers arrived and asked me to borrow the chargers. <laughs> um, so I always have an extra set for the courier, but sometimes I don't get them back. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, take a book or have something, an audio book on your phone, because during the installation, if there's complications with your object, you're going to have to wait around. And that's okay. That happens. But it's also the responsibility of the exhibition registrar to give you a little heads up that, you know, it might take some time to tweak your mount. So we might need you to wait for an hour while we work on this other object. So it's a dialogue that you have with the exhibition registrar, but be prepared to patiently wait in the gallery to let them do their job. Amen. I, I, I did a, I did a, a courier trip to uh, Brazil in December and one little uh, great little detail. It's kind of not really a detail, but uh, one of the registrars from the institution met me when I got off the plane was with the, was with the agent because, you know, the guys in the cargo area in Brazil aren't famous for speaking English. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, you know, it was someone that could, you know, translate, translate. from me. Even though, you know, I, that's a trip I've done many times. And, uh, you know, it's, of course, it's different every single time. But, yeah. uh, but it was, it was uh, I mean, if you have the staff, I mean, that's also another way to help sort of bridge these gaps. Because also... Brazil, for example, is notoriously complicated and you know that you're going to spend eight to 12 hours in the airport there. So, you know, it, it really kind of helped, uh, help the whole situation and be calm because nothing went, you know, as planned. And importantly, you know, you're representing your institution. Yeah. So bring your A game, dress comfortably, but please don't dress like you're going on a picnic. Um, it is a long flight, um, but don't wear flip-flops. You know, just common sense. 
Yeah. You're there to represent your institution. Well, that kind of like bleeds over into something that um, I know that as a courier and what I've tried to do on the other end of it, being a borrower, is a little bit of hospitality, right? So you have colleagues coming in, like you said, you want to make a wonderful impression. Mm -hmm. It's really nice to have like a little courier packet to orient people, especially yes. if they've never been to your part of the U.S. or your part of the world, to say, hey, the hotel's right here. Guess what? The top places are to eat that our staff like. Here, go try them out. Or yeah. you can always get coffee yeah. here. You know, let me walk you to the cafe after you're done. Just general hospitality things so that people... It goes a long way. Yeah. yeah. And especially if you want to build those relationships with lenders, mm -hmm. you want a little reciprocity in the future. You know, it's nice when you're like, oh, that register there really knows how to take care of people. I've been traveling for 48 hours straight. Yeah. And I was delirious, but they really helped me out. Yeah, I mean, no, you know, no, 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 Amanda, what are you doing? We want to discourage couriers, not discourage them. <laughs> well, as long as we have to have them, you might as well make it as yeah, exactly. as possible. Yes. So that's always a nice perk. I, and when I usually give people courier packets, a lot of people are like, "Oh, can I borrow that idea?" Like, it's not common out there. Oh yeah. yeah. I have like a, a pile of them. I'm like, they did it nicely. They did it nicely. <laughs> yeah, just some very simple stuff. And so I think I'll probably mention that in my section mm -hmm. of the U.S. oriented items um, in case mm -hmm. people are not aware that it doesn't take that much effort to put a courier packet together. The uh, the one I just did, they actually had uh, common phrases too, like translations. Oh, nice. Oh, nice. Which was, I thought was, was clever. So, but uh, you would have to know how to pronounce the, the things in Portuguese yeah. a little bit. But, but at least it's a point. But yeah, you can at least point and say, <laughs> yeah. So. Which brings me up to recommended readings. So uh -huh. of course we want to promote uh, the Registrar Method um, Bible of the industry, which has some still some great and relevant shipping and courier mm -hmm. chapters. Um, but Packin uh, also has, a, I think, I'm not sure it's still published, um, but it's a, a crate sort of like anatomy of a crate uh, booklet. So as a courier, you should also know how a crate is constructed and works. But also there, um, I think it's out of publication. I'm hoping it'll get back into publication. But Cornelia Rose wrote the famous Courier Speak book, and yes. it's this great little book. I have two of them, and I hold on to them dearly. But it's a visual thing, too. But it's a translation of basic courier phrases. I've heard exactly. that that book is actually really expensive because it's out of print. Yeah. Yeah, it's hundreds of dollars on like Amazon. I have to, so depending on the price offered. <laughs> <laughs> How do we get in contact with you? <laughs> so, um, so um, excuse me, I'm uh, dealing with a cold here. <laughs> so... Let's see. So let's let's kind of round it up back where we started with the uh, with the with the courier workshop. Um, so, given the sort of obstacles and the problems we've just been talking about, like how do you feel that the workshop can help uh, alleviate some of these issues? Well, once again, I think when you have, when you educate people on anything, it helps alleviate or minimize problems. Um, it's not going to be a quick fix. I think um, if we consistently do these training programs, I, I would see, I would think that within five to seven years, we could see an impact on the need for couriers. Um, but really bottom line is educating the registrars who are um, 
are the ones who indicate whether or not couriers are required for their um, objects. You think that we should, uh, well, I mean, I guess this is a little bit of a trial, but if we can get get this to be a very common occurrence to have these courier workshops and courier trainings, you know, maybe it's a thing to consider putting in your courier policy that you must have this training in order to be a courier for this institution. Yeah, I mean, um, here in LA, LACMA has a great courier policy and training program. No staff can be a courier until they've gone through their training program. Um, yeah. It doesn't matter what level of an employee you are, you have to complete that courier training program. Um, and they've had that in place for about 10 years. Oh, wow. So LACMA couriers that I come across are always really good. Yeah. I, I remember when I reviewed the uh, the surveys from the courier resolution information that ARCS did, um, every institution had some version of training, right? So they had surveyed, you know, not only – there were sort of two parts to it. There, were, there was uh, surveys of – eight major institutions in the United States, as well as, uh, I think it was a broader survey out to the, to the ARCS membership at the time, but this was probably seven years ago, six years ago. Um, and, uh, and yeah, every, almost every institution had some sort of training, but some, the training could have been like, okay, you're about to go on this trip. Here's what you're going to know. One hour before let's go over everything. That's not proper training. Right, exactly. And then others had, you know, slightly broader or yeah. more apprentice-like programs. Yeah. So even that standard is is uh, not consistent. No, no. So that's hopefully something that the career training workshop can help with. And as we said, you know, the framework, the manual will end up being on the ARCS website for the membership. So even if they don't attend the workshop, um, they'll have access to that. It'd be ideal if they would attend the workshop because there's so much dialogue that happens that's just not written in the manual. Right. Um, and, uh, but yes, so you're right. It's, it's just inconsistent. A lot of people I think are embarrassed to say they don't have some training, um, but that's just the reality. You all got to start somewhere. Exactly, yeah. Well, yeah, and, and the fact is, like, now, uh, if we can, you know, really get this uh, uh, to be a, a common occurrence, there's not, you, you don't have to say, you know, there's not available training now. It's Correct, yes. actually exists, so. It's actually, yeah. So. Yeah, and, you know, um, hopefully, uh, as we can see by the numbers of registrations, it's, it's a popular topic and people want it. So we'll see how this March one goes and hopefully we can propose another one near um, the later half of the, of the year somewhere else. And then eventually, you know, take that international element of ARCS and offer this program down south somewhere. Let's, I wanna, here, here's something that's kind of tied into this that I, I think we should actually talk about uh, in conjunction, but it's lending policies and criteria. So like if something, you know, if we're going to require something to have a courier, I think we should probably more properly vet the object even before it goes on exhibition. Oh, yeah. uh, and yeah. um, so, I mean, obviously we're kind of making the assumption that they're, they're capable objects of, you know, they're capable of travel and, and all of that. But um it, it, you know, it, it might be worth revisiting our policies, you know, on a semi-regular basis to actually make sure that these things are stable and ready to travel. 
that are capable. Well, hopefully, in conjunction with developing a career policy for your institution, you're also developing an outgoing loan process, mm-hmm. um, which would mitigate some of those issues beforehand. Yeah. You know, ideally, um, being a contract registrar now, I see a lot of, I work with so many different institutions, and it's, it's amazing how inconsistent things are. But ideally, you want a six-month gap between a loan request and a loan exhibition date so that your institution has time to vet the object, go through the approval process, doesn't need conservation, doesn't need to be reframed or rematted. Uh, is it safe to travel? Mm-hmm. And if not, immediately just deny the loan. If it's safe to travel, you know, look at all these issues before it does go um, to the exhibition. And in that process, that's when you decide, does it require a courier? That's part of your outgoing loan process procedure. Yep, exactly. Yeah. You know what's something that always gets, that's been getting me hung up lately? We don't typically lend at my institution that much, but we have a few choice pieces that are always, always requested for loans. Yeah. And this one work had been traveling. It was a four venue show. It was over a year and a half worth of exhibition. (laughs) Um, It had been international. It was coming back home. And the last venue, we had sent a courier to every venue. I mean, this is just, it's an important piece from the collection. It was in fine shape. The frame was a little damaged, but really like in the big scheme of things, not the most important part of the overall piece. And the last venue told us, we, were, we insisted on sending a courier. That was in our loan agreement with them. And they made the comment, well, everyone else that's lending isn't sending someone. You'd be the only courier. And it really made me stop and think, like, are, are we being ridiculous for expecting a courier to go on this trip? Um, and was it true? I'm sorry? Was it true? I, well, I just asked that to myself. I didn't ask them. Maybe they would have said, yeah, Mandy, you're absolutely ridiculous. We didn't end up sending a courier. I mean, it was a reputable institution. I'd worked with them before. And, um, you know, they made the comment it would really help save our budget. And I was like, you know what? I'm not going to be that asshole. The piece is fine. Um, but the thing that I kept getting hung up on is, like, this is an important piece to our collection. Maybe not to somebody else's. Maybe it's not the most important one by this artist in the world. But it matters to our collection. It matters to our community. And that played a big role in my thought as to whether or not we'd send a courier or something it had really little to do with the object's condition. It was okay. And then I don't realize, then I wonder like, am I, is that too much? Am I being, you know, selfish as a registrar? Well, I think um, if you have a courier policy, you can earmark certain pieces because of the importance to the collection, their value that these, and then you just put it in that record that this always requires a courier for the following reason. Um, if it was that important to your institution's overall collection, I would understand that. But, you know, I mean, some institutions have 10 Monets, so, you know, it's that one Monet is not the most important piece to their collection. But if you got nine others, <laughs> if your collection has just one Monet and that one Monet was very important to the collector who started the museum, you know, that's a very yeah important so that's where you have to have that discussion during the approval process right well and my question too would be just like it's i i kind of think like well they have some pretty a pretty good set of cojones to ask you that question you know what i mean because to you it's so important i understand from the budgetary aspect like i know they're like hey can we always ask yeah. Send a courier especially if we also know the object and say we don't understand why they sent a courier um, cause that's part of the exhibition registrar's role as well. Right. 
um, not to be disrespectful to that collection or anything, but, um, but it, but it was legitimate for you to have that thought process. Yeah. Oh, I totally, I agree with that. I think it's good of you, Amanda, to really think that way. But I just think like from the institution that, that questioned it, I'd be like, well, you guys are asking for that object. You know what I mean? So these are our requirements. Yeah. yeah. I think that was part and, of the thing because they, they knew at the beginning when we signed the loan agreement that we required a courier. Right. And we did, we compromised. And, and, and I mean, I'm not gonna, uh, you know, boo on them for just, trying to, ne- to negotiate, just to genuinely, genuinely ask. When I first right. thought, I was like, oh, how dare you? And then I was like, oh, well, maybe you're right. <laughs> yeah, I did, a little bit. <laughs> you know, if you're sending it to a very reputable institution, you know they have the staff to handle it. So maybe the compromise is, right. and I always say people should require this anywhere, is that at the airport you have tarmac security and that you have airport supervision. Mm. That's really important. That doesn't cost a lot of money. So you have some there on your behalf making sure that piece is contained and palletized properly. So that's one level of, of a safety security factor. Then the piece gets picked up by a fine art shipping company and gets mm-hmm. taken to that institution. And then that institution staff oversee it. Same with the reverse shipment. You have airport supervision and tarback security at every port. So that's a little extra because I do see a lot of institutions who – don't want to have airport supervision because they don't want to spend that $375. Um, but it could mitigate so many problems, right. uh, especially if there's no courier there. So knowing that, you could have said, okay, well, I won't send a courier, but you have to have these things in place at the airport. Mm-hmm. And I um, think that would make it speak a little better. I had a similar experience, but it wasn't, the problem wasn't about the travel because it was a domestic shipment that was going by truck. So it was fine to go without a courier, but it was more of a concern about installation. And um, I ended up doing a Skype phone mm-hmm. call during the installation because the, the pieces weren't dangerous or anything, but they just required, they had a couple quirks that, you know, it would have been help, helpful if I was there. And you know, also, one of them was a, uh, was a sculpture on a pedestal. I, I couldn't really assess how close it was based on a floor plan, you know. Mm-hmm how close it was to like the, the walkways and the entrances and, and into the gallery, et cetera. So a Skype phone call was, was really helpful. And, um, it also also shows that you're, you care, you know, it, we're not just sending it out there and do what you want with it. You know, it's like, we, we actually are vigilant about it and ask questions and, and all that. Yeah. You're saving them a lot of money. And as a result, they can uh, owe you, you know, this, this amount of, um, uh, of due diligence on their part. Also, another tip, Amanda, is um, if you're lending and, and there's this scenario again, you can ask for a floor plan to really make sure where is my object going to be installed because I'm not going to be there. I need to see where your exit doors are. You know, so that's that's common. Um, most major institutions have people on staff to do the exhibition designers. So you can see exactly where your piece is going to get installed. And the main question, as John said, ask questions if you know and so they need to make you feel 100 percent satisfied in not providing a courier you don't have to be easy on them no not at all you're doing them a favor by lending them the object yeah exactly yeah well and one of the things i think that especially this workshop is going to provide to people is just giving them a if they especially if they've never experienced um you know they've never lent before maybe and they've never been on a courier trip clearly uh 
just giving them tools to think about all these things. Like I would have never thought about that. You know, it's like that's half the thing, unless you go through it yourself. Correct. You know, it's really, you can teach it in a classroom, you can read it in a book, but unless you go through it yourself, there's just a lot of those little tiny details that yeah. you're not going to think about. And having a workshop, this is really going to open that up for people so they can ask those questions and they know they have the, you know, they have the right to be like, well, can we do it this way? Or what about this option and things like that? And I think that's great. Some of the scenarios will also, um, will be problematic scenarios um, because many of us um, with experience know how to deal with, you go to Italy and they don't have the pedestal ready and they want you to leave the object. Like, no, that's not part, you know, so you know how to diplomat, you don't want to burn bridges, you want to diplomatically be that person like, no, per the loan agreement, you were supposed to have this ready. So you're going to have to pay five extra days for me to stay in Venice until you get that pedestal ready. And, you know, you need to know as a courier, you know, that's when you have these really in-depth training discussions with your institution. Um, what kind of mount are we allowing on this piece? If it's on a pedestal, do we need seismic mitigation issues addressed? Mm -hmm. You know, what kind of hanging hardware do we approve? Because sometimes in Europe, they did use different um, hardware. Um, with experience, you'll learn this stuff, but your staff, your outgoing loan registrar or your art handler, they need to teach you this as a up-and-coming courier as well. But once again, ask questions. I think that's a great point to uh, wrap everything up with. Um, so, Jackie, thank you so much for thank sharing you. this with you and for organizing or co-organizing the uh, the conference, the the workshop. And uh, we all look forward to uh, vying over those last five spots to get in. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 that's going to be, it's going to be a fun couple days. I'm going to get the brunt of it. <laughs> so, um, don't, don't kill the messenger people. If people want to get in contact with you about, uh, about the work that you do or about the workshop, what's the best way for them to, to reach you? Oh, are you talking to me? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, um, I guess just go onto the arcs website. Um, okay. right, Robin? that's, I mean, yeah. our information should be, um, there. All right. Yeah, if that. you go into, um, you can either email the general email address info at arcsinfo.org and I'll get you Jackie's information or forward the messages to her so she will be able to get them for sure. Fantastic. Yeah. Thanks so much. Um, and uh, thanks again for everybody for tuning in to ARCS chat. As usual, we'll have the uh, podcast out on Friday. And uh, with that, remember to subscribe to the podcast and to uh, like it, and uh, you can find it on, what is it, Stitcher, Apple, Google, Spotify. Rate it on Apple, uh, subscribe mm -hmm. to our YouTube channel. Our next chat will be March 3rd, I believe. March 3rd, yes, we got uh, conservators from the, the Getty talking about uh, why your uh, climate parameters are all wrong. Uh it's uh Joel Taylor uh from the Getty Conservation Institute. Oh. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah. yeah, anyway, so he's gonna tell us about our loan contracts. So <laughs> interesting. So anyway, it, you, prepare for this one. This is 
this is going to be a major rift in the registrar world. It's actually a very timely topic because for Mm -hmm. many years, the conservators have been meeting about this. Mm -hmm. They've been wanting, they know that they need to get to the registrars about this because we're the ones who are doing the loan requirements on the loan Mm -hmm. agreement. I'm glad this is out there. Um, I'm going to tell a few other Getty conservators who have been promoting this for quite some time. They've always said, Jacqueline, we need the registrars to get on this. And I'm like, start talking about it. Yep. Because if you guys start talking about it, we can't do anything about it. Yes. Right. Some Great major, there are major changes on the horizon. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. That's going to be a great topic. Yeah. Well, yeah. It should be, it should be fun. And, uh, so uh, we're gonna we're gonna make it into a brawl. 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 So yeah, with that, um, tune in for March, and with that, we'll we'll leave it here. Find us on uh, Twitter at Arts for All, and uh, and uh, subscribe to the podcast. Thanks, everybody. And become an Arts member. Woo. <laughs> Good night, everyone. Thank you.